<clears throat> excuse me, 2 Samuel chapter number 12 in your Bibles if you would. 2 Samuel chapter number 12, the Bible says in verse number 1, And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor had man had nothing save one little ewe lamb which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I had anointed thee king over Israel, and delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house, and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and I gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah, and if that had been too little, I would, have, would moreover have given unto thee such and such things." Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight, that thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and thou hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house." And I'll take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of the sun. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Let's pray if we would this morning, and we'll get into the preaching. I'm going to pick on Brother Dan Berlucci. Would you please ask God to bless the message this morning? Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we're continuing here through this, uh, I guess you'd call it a series. I don't usually do series. My series, as you know, are just picking a book of the Bible and preaching through it uh, or teaching through it, either verse by verse or preaching through it a chapter at a time. But we started a little bit ago doing a series on things that hurt the church. And we've been following the life of David, starting all the way back with Saul and the way Saul treated David and the destruction that that caused in Saul's own kingdom, how he is truly like self-destructing because of his stupid actions and the things that he's doing. And I feel like this storyline as we go through it greatly illustrates what I've seen throughout my life, and most of you have seen some of it too, the destruction that gets caused in relationships and specifically church relationships. Uh, we started out at the beginning talking about the dichotomy of the Christian life. I'm not going to run through the series again. You've been listening to it. But because we're sinners, because we're a bunch of people saved by the grace of God, if you're saved, that's the only way you get saved. You can't get saved any other way. 
You're saved by the goodness and grace of Almighty God. And once you're saved, you got inside of you a desire to do right. You wouldn't be here this morning if something wasn't drawing you to try to do right. Something doesn't bring you here to say, listen, I want to learn more about God. I want to learn more about my Bible. I'm going to church this morning because I feel like that's where I'm supposed to be, right? You have a desire to do right. And in spite of the fact that you have a desire to do right, you still live in sinful flesh. In me, Paul said, that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. (laughs) Now, how about that for self-help? How about that for feel-good preaching? Come on, Paul, you can't preach to people like that. Don't you know that this is the 21st century? you got to make them feel good about themselves. you know? You got to tell them something that will help them feel better about humanity because inherently we're all good. That's exactly the opposite of what the Bible teaches. He says, in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing for all who sin to come short of the glory of God. Guess what? If you're saved this morning, your sin is forgiven in the eyes of God, but you still live in sinful flesh that has a desire to do the wrong things. And as a result of our sin, we hurt not only God, but we hurt other people. Now, here's the thing and the application to this series. We walk into church and we think, well, we're coming to church and this means it's got to be different because we're at church, right? That means like I'm never supposed to get hurt in church. There's never supposed to be hard feelings at church. There's all kinds of inconsistencies in the world around us. We all have that boss somewhere in, in your past at least or in your present. We all see the inconsistencies in the world and we recognize all the problems in politics and all the problems in the education system and all the problems. I mean, there's problems everywhere. We expect all that out there, but when we come to church, everything's supposed to be perfect. Well, guess what? In reality, everything ain't perfect. You're sitting next to a bunch of sinners. That ought to make you feel very comfortable. Half of you got it. Because you are one. So there's something we need to be very aware of. And that thing that we need to be very aware of is not just the fact that they're all sinners around me. But something even more important than that. I got to be aware of me. Because if I'm not careful, I become the problem. Listen, I expect to be offended sooner or later. I expect people to come into church and kind of be a little miffed at my last message because they felt like it was personal or I didn't shake their hand last week, so now this week. I mean, not presently, but years ago, we had somebody who would come into church and she wanted me to know she didn't like me. So it's like, if I'm standing here, she's going to walk right by. And even like does a little bit like, a, like her lats are so huge she can't put her arms down, you know, like a teenage boy or whatever. Some of us grown men, you know, like, and it was like, she walked by me, she would just, and it was always like, Jesus bless you, happy you're here today, God, (laughs) so wonderful being your pastor. You know what was the problem? Not her. She really wasn't the problem. You know what the problem was? You know why? Because if I get rid of her, run her off, make sure my message, you know, you put the sniper rifle on the pulpit, make sure my message deals with that issue and get rid of her, guess what happens? 
sooner or later, she walks back in in a different body. Do you know why? Because people are people. You know what my biggest problem is? My biggest problem is controlling me. Now here's the weird thing. We saw last week a man after God's own heart who is so serious about serving God, loves the Lord, has walked with God, has killed a lion, has killed a bear, has killed a Goliath, has led God's men into battle, has proven himself to be literally able to die to himself when his enemy gets delivered into his hand more than once. And he says, no, I will not lay my hand on the Lord's anointed. This man has proven himself under pressure. He has made the right decisions when, listen, 99% of the other men around him would not have had the character, the discipline, or the walk with God to make the decisions that that man made in those moments. You look at David and God says, a man after my own heart. David is one of my role models in the Bible. One of my favorite Bible figures is David. And what did he do last week? (laughs) In a moment of weakness, his flesh went somewhere he never imagined his flesh would go. That's 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 a scary thing to me. Can I say this this morning before I get into the message? He said, oh, that was introduction. Oh, don't worry. We only got about three hours of message and then we'll be gone. Listen, the best thing to do is don't ever get yourself into the mess in the first place. Learn from the Bible. Learn from these stories. Walk with God. Don't make the stupid decisions. But guess what? Sooner or later, somewhere along the line, on some level or another, I hope to God not on the level we saw last week, on some level or another, we all mess up. Every last person in this room, sooner or later, messes up. When you mess up, as we are going to see as we continue through the storyline, you hurt other people. You understand that, right? Your decisions impact others. You ain't never seen it like you see it nowadays. And again, I'm going to say this sensitively, but I feel like I need to say it. I say it sensitively because we have so many divorced people in this church. It's not even funny, and I'm not embarrassed of you. You're not second-class Christians. You're not marked. Just not that kind of church. We have so many divorced people here, it isn't even funny. And I don't mean to rub salt in the wounds, but there's a lot of people that aren't divorced yet or that are remarried that don't need to play the whole game again. You look at the divorce thing. You watch the impact that it has on everything. Impact it has on the kids. Impact it has on the friendships. Impact, I mean, it is a devastating thing. It's not something to be taken like, well, we just can't get along. Well, God wouldn't want me to live with this miserable jerk. Well, you better stop for a second before you make that decision and consider the fallout of what you're fixing to do. You live with that thing. That's a tough thing, man. There's a lot of repercussions for those actions. It's best to get a hold of God and to both get a hold of God together and to find a way where you can humble yourself enough to work through your issues and let God show up in His grace and help you out. But it still happens. 
I have not been unaffected by it. No, that's my first wife and my only wife, and I pray to God I never, ever, ever have to train another woman again. I mean, have to go through this again. That is so opposite of reality, to be honest with you. She's training me, but anyhow, anyways. So, my heart's very compassionate about that because I know how it feels. Now listen, once the mistake's been made, the sin's been committed, and you've already impacted other people, now what? In the text, David's already committed the sin. It's already done. I'll show you as we go through there, David's been backslidden for a year. Because in the text, twice he says God smote the child. It did not say the baby. That means nine months since she conceived to the point where it's no longer an infant, it's a child, which would mean at least a toddler. David has been backslid, thought he got away with his sin, thought he covered it up, running and hiding for probably over a year by the time we come to chapter number 12. The fallout from his sin is already there, but he hasn't yet begun to see the fruit of what he did. It hasn't yet grown up enough. The seed's in the ground, but God's not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And he feels like he got away with it. He feels like everything's okay, but you can't sow a seed without it bringing forth fruit. Problems are coming David's way, and he has not yet gotten right with God about it. Yeah, that's good. So now what? I made some mistakes in my life. Well, get in line behind me, please. Well, my mistakes have hurt my testimony. I said behind me. My mistakes have hurt my family. I said behind me. We all have made some mistakes. We've all sinned. We've all done things that's caused damage. Now what? You know what hurts the church? More than you being human and messing up, you know what hurts the church? An improper response to the judgment of God. You know what David does in this passage? He has exactly the proper response when God shows up and begins to deal with his heart. Before I show you his response, I want you to see how every one of us is utterly and completely accountable to respond the right way before God because we all know what's right and wrong. You say, listen, a lost man knows what's right and wrong. A lost man knows you should not commit adultery. You listen to the way they joke about even looking around at girls and the way they talk, I'm going to hell. Why'd you say that, man? You know you're wrong. You know, don't don't give me this, I'm a good person junk. Well, I'm not, you know, I'm not as bad as, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer. Got a high standard, don't you? Ain't ain't it funny the people that lost people compare themselves to when they try to brag about how good they are? Your standard's that high, huh? Listen, you know you're a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. Mama and Daddy, I don't care how much you love the little baby, you know that thing's a sinner. You, You get it. They scream like they're dying when they're infants, and they're not dying. They come forth from the womb speaking lies. Now, sometimes you figure out they're hungry or they're colicky or they got gas or whatever it is. It's not too crude, is it? It's real life. 
right? And you figure out the problem. Other times, it's like, ah! You get out of bed like, ah! What's going on? Run in the... As soon as you pick her up, she's, you little liar. Don't spank them when they're infants, okay? You lost your mind. A liar, I'm going to shoot you. A lion is wrong. No, just put them back to bed and let them scream it out. But you know they're little sinners. You can't deny that fact. One of the number one ways you recognize sin and you condemn yourself is your response to the sin of other people. Look at David in verses 1 through 6. Nathan comes in there and he gives him an example. There's two men in one city. One's rich and one's poor. The rich man is David. The poor man, Jeriah. But the poor man, the rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds. That's David. God says, I've given you all these wives. I've given you all this stuff. I gave you Israel. I gave you Judah and Israel. You got all you want and I love you so much and you've been such a good man that if you ask me for more, I'd have given you more. The poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, that's Bathsheba, which he had bought and nourished up. And it grew up together with him and with his children. Uriah was probably a bit older. He'd probably lost his first wife because he, with his, if this illustration's real specific, and I think it's real specific, Uriah has one wife and her name is Bathsheba. And he's probably a bit of an older guy and he marries a bit of a younger girl and he brings her into his house and he loves her. Look at, the, look at the passage. Watch this. And with his children, together with him and with his children, he probably had children by the first wife. She's probably dead and gone. You ever stop and think about how many of you wouldn't be here? How, how many of you ladies don't raise your hand but had C-sections? Because you wouldn't have been able to give birth if it wasn't for that. You wouldn't be here back in this day. It was a rough life. I wouldn't be here. That infection that I had just a few weeks ago, that would have gone into my blood. I possibly wouldn't have been here. You know, not saying I was on death's door or nothing, but that could have played out that way. He wouldn't be here. You think about that. She probably died. And now he has Bathsheba and he loves her. It did eat of his own meat, drank of his own cup, and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. He married a younger woman. And brings her into his house, and he loved her, and he had one. Didn't that, God's not the one that set up the multiple wives stuff. God gave him one. Lunatic men are the one that wanted more. Lost your mind, man. Men that don't want any peace in the house at all. Because they're selfish and driven by their own lust. Verse 4. There came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared, not, he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come to him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. He took something that wasn't his, and it was all the other guy had, and the other guy loved it. That's Bathsheba. When David hears this, boy, verse number five, David's anger is kindled. How could he? That's an evil man. It's a lamb. Hey, I love my dog. You understand that? You mess with my dog, I'll mess with you. Let's just put it that way, all right? But it's a dog. You do get that, right? It's just a dog. If we're starving to death, we eat the dog first. Do you get my point? You understand what I'm saying? It's a dog. I know I just offended some of you. I would never eat my dog, okay? 
it's not a wife. David gets irate at this, and guess what? You should. Here's the other thing I find hilarious about this. Verse number 6. He said, he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he had done this thing, because he had no pity. All of a sudden, David's self-righteous side comes out. David's anger comes out. David says, how could he do something like that? And then David, he gets biblical. He's a, he's a Bible-believing, King James-only, rightly dividing. He likes old-fashioned church and him singing. And he knows those scriptures, boy. He ain't been right with God in a year or 18 months. But he remembers that scripture when it applies to somebody else. And he quotes Exodus 22.1. Five ox for an ox, four sheep for a sheep. And he says in verse number 6, He's going to restore it fourfold. I know my Bible. You know what the problem with most of the Bible-believing crowd that I know? They know their Bible. They can quote their Bible. They got more standards than God or the Bible. And they can give you a verse to prove they're right. But they can't seem to turn the Bible around and look at themselves and say, you know what? That lost person that doesn't know any better, that new Christian that's still learning, they're nowhere near as wicked as I am because I know better. Because I know my Bible. Because I know God. Because I've seen what He's done for me. No, 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 not them. It's like every Sunday you go to church and you get to hear them harp on everything that's wrong in politics and everything that's wrong in the world around us and there's little to know. What about me? I don't give two hoots for a Christian who's always recognizing and responding to the sin in everybody else. A church that is full of people that are obsessed with people, will not last. In other words, if you're here on Sunday morning and you're looking around at who's wearing what and who's not wearing what and who's acting how and who's not acting how and who's training their kids the way you do and who's not and who's this and that and the other thing, you ain't going to last. Your judgmental spirit on everybody else around you, your critical spirit of everybody else around you, proves that you have guilt yourself. Since you know so much about what to do and how to do it and what's right and what's wrong and what the proper judgment is and you're all about all that in everybody else's life, you're condemning yourself. My dad always used to say when you point the finger at somebody else, you got three pointing back at you. Do you know God knows everything there is to know about every person in this room? God knew you when you were in your mother's womb. He knew your substance is what the Bible says. Ain't that a trip? God knows your every thought. And God knows the every thought of everybody else. You know you don't know? 
Do you know there's some people in this room that as a pastor I get a special privilege sometimes of knowing a little more details about the background? If they allow me to know them, I don't look for them or ask for them or dig for them. But when somebody trusts me with that, I, I know a little more about some backgrounds around here. And can I say this? I don't think I'd be sitting where they're sitting if I'd been through what some of the people in this room have been through. Personally, I think it's an outstanding thing that some people just come to church once a week. I like it when you come back Sunday night. I'll be here tonight and I'm prepared and I work just as hard on them as I do on everything else. I like it when you come Wednesday night. I think it's great. But I think it's an outstanding thing that some people just come faithfully once a week, every week. Some of what some people have been through and what's in their background, it's an unbelievable thing to me that you still serve the Lord. It makes me kind of mad when somebody comes to me with a critical spirit towards somebody else and I'm like, well, you know what? I, I know a little bit more about the story than you know. I know some mind-blowing things that that individual's had to deal with. Why don't you just leave them alone and leave them to God? Your response against other people's sin or what you perceive to be sin, you better be careful. Let me ask you this question. How would you like God to be as hard on you as you are on everybody else? Well, guess what God did for David? God was as hard on him as he was on the story of a man who took somebody's lamp. His response to other people's sin showed his guilt. I know this isn't fun preaching, is it? But I want to help you. That's one of the hardest things about marriage counseling. It's hard, man. I haven't done a ton of it, but the little bit that I've done, it's tough. Because every time they want to call or they want to come in the office and they want to talk about her. They want to talk about him. Hey, look. He ain't here. You are. Or you sit down and you say, all right, we're going to look at it from your point of view. Okay, now we're going to switch the shoe to the other foot. (laughs) Oh, no, we ain't. Let's talk about his... 20% and let's not worry about my 80 or vice versa. Well, you got to get a good hard look at yourself every once in a while if you want God to bless you and use you in spite of you. David's response to other people's sin showed his guilt. He had a massive blind spot in his own life about himself. Can I just say this morning? I'll bet you most all of us have that problem. When you embrace the blind spots about yourself, what you've done is you shut off the lights. Does does that make sense? I don't want to deal with the truth about me. I want to talk about him. I don't want to deal with the truth about me. I want to focus on her. I don't want to deal with the truth about how I should handle the situation. My boss is crazy and he won't stop. Okay, We can't change him. But maybe we can help you figure out how to behave in such a way as to make the situation as least messy as possible. Well, let's not talk about me. You just shut off the lights. 
Light rejected becomes lightning. When God gives you truth and you don't accept it, that truth God gave you, which was meant to help you and meant to change you and meant to develop you and meant to get you farther down the road in serving God and in life and make you more profitable, not only in your own life, but in the lives of other people, that truth becomes judgment. It's the same truth. It's all about how you handled the truth when you got it. And if you don't want the light, God will shut off the light. Ain't it funny that a man after God's own heart, a guy God loved, a guy God set up, a guy God picked, and he even said over in Chronicles somewhere, he liked me. God's like, I like him. Wouldn't that be cool if God said that about you? Oh, Reagan? Oh, man, I like that kid. Man, that'd be great, wouldn't it? I mean, I'm a kid to the ancient of days, so yeah, he's a good boy. That's what God said about David. But when David shut off the light, when David did wrong, God didn't play favorites. God didn't care who he was, what his status was, what he'd done in the past. All he'd have cut, none of it meant anything to God. He just overstepped his boundaries and shut off the lights and did something he shouldn't have done. And God said, all right, now you're going to deal with what you did. Notice David's response when he realizes his sin in verses 7 through 15. Nathan says to him, Thou art the man. Look down at verse 13. David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. Boy, that is so profound. When you realize what you did wrong... The level of fallout from what he did was unbelievable. I've known better men than me. It scares me. I hope to God it scares me enough that I never go this far with anything. Boy, I don't want that. And to consider the fallout, the amount of people that get hurt, I want you to consider that before you get stupid. You know what we are? It's, it's real interesting to me. We really are a church family. My life is not my own. I'm a highly independent individual. I'm probably too independent. I've always been that way. I'm wired that way. I do what I do and I just do it and... Because I'll do what I do. You understand what I'm saying? I never really had to vote with my friends on whether or not we were going to... I mean, if my friends didn't want to do what I was doing or I didn't want to do what they were doing, I was perfectly happy to go do my own thing and let them do whatever they want. I mean, I remember some of them saying, Dude, you're such a jerk. I don't know why I like you. So I don't know why you like me either. You understand? I'm not independent. We just, we just take care of ourselves sometimes. That's why we do some of the things we do. But boy, when I do some of the things I do, guess who gets affected by it? 20 years. 20 years of marriage. 18 years of raising my oldest daughter and all the way down almost 13 years on the youngest. How about you? 15 years? That scares me. We're a church family. You know why a lot of people don't want to be a part of a church family? Accountability. I don't hound you, do I? 
If you don't show up for a couple weeks, I might be like, hey, I've been praying for you, concerned about you, want to see, but I don't hound you. There's a level of responsibility that comes with the church family. I'm trying to tell you that when you get messed up and when you fall into sin and when you go off into left field and when you react the fool, you hurt people around here. We go on. One monkey don't stop no show. Amen. I was in the hospital, but you all still had church. One monkey don't stop no show. We'll go on for God, but it hurts. It impacts other people. It does damage to the church. Some of you older folks, and I mean anybody that's old enough to have teenagers and on, some of these kids are watching you more than you think. Some of these kids look up to you more than you realize. And your actions impact them. But more importantly than any of that, God's been good to you. David's realization of his sin had to strike him, first of all, in the heart. When that old preacher got in his face and said, Thou art the man. Can you imagine what a backbone Nathan had? That's the king. That's a backslidden king. That's a backslidden king who took a man's wife and murdered the man to cover it up. Nathan had to be thinking he's running right down the same path Saul went down. Saul never got that bad. Next he's going to be consulting with a witch. God only knows what's going on. What happened to David? God said, go give him the message. God, you're going to ruin my career. God, you, you really want me to go home early, don't you? I'm still young enough. I, I got a few years left. and you really Go give him the message. He walks in there, hey, guess what? David does this big blow up, and it's all a setup. And he says, you're done? You're the guy. That's old school preaching. And David pouted because he didn't like the way he said it. And I just, I don't know why you got to yell, and I don't know why he had to say it that way. Hey, let me tell you something. Sometimes I'll tell my... My 12-year-old, almost 13-year-old, go tell your 18 or your 16-year-old sister, Dad said, guess what? You're an adult. You're 16. You're 15. You're 14. You don't have a right to say, I ain't listening. You're my little sister. They don't do that, just so you know. I don't want to embarrass them too bad. They don't have a right to say that doesn't matter who the messenger is or how the messenger said it. When I say dad said and she says exactly what dad said, that order came directly from dad. If you don't do that, you directly disobeyed me. David didn't have a right to say nothing. God said, you're the man. You should say it nicer, Nathan. That's between Nathan and God. As long as he said exactly what God wanted him to say, you take the message. His response, his realization of his sin had to strike him in the heart. Notice in verses 8 and 9, we already read it, but God tells him, I would have done so much more for you and look at all I've already done for you. Have you ever, and don't raise your hand, but have you ever messed up? I mean, colossally messed up on God. And when you realize you messed up, it hits you like a ton of bricks, how stupid. Forgive the phrase, stupid you are. I preach from experience. 
Because you're like, how could I have been such an idiot to mess up all the great things God's been doing for me? And look at what God has done. Sometimes before you get in the situation, you need to stop and meditate on stories like this in your Bible. And say, God has given me 20 years of marriage to one woman who still loves me and treats me great. It stays up sleepless nights when I'm sick, making sure that I'm not getting too sick in my sleep. Back me up and help me. Supported me when I quit my job after I bought her first house. I quit my job to go full time at a church with 30 people and back me up. Through all the ups and all the downs and all the good and all the bad, God's given me 20 years of marriage to one woman. God's given me four kids and he's kept them healthy and kept them alive by his goodness and grace. God's given us a local church. There was no church here 15 years ago when we started in a living room with no money in the middle of the greatest recession since the Great Depression. I had two businessmen in the church that both had lost their businesses and had no money now. We're trying not to lose their house. Cussing me out because, Mandy, you should have started this church five years ago and we told you because we'd have had a building already and we'd have had everything. <laughs> we had nothing and now we're looking at putting on an addition, getting approved by a bank, and looking at putting breaking ground this spring. And God's filling up the building, taking 15 years. Yeah, he's doing it real slow, like an oak tree. They grow real slow, but they grow strong and they last. Man, it's good how good God's been to me, ain't it? I want to think of that right now before I mess it all up. Because Mike Reagan, in his stupidity, can put so much damage on all God has done and God plans to do. His realization of his sin. God's been good to him. God's done a lot for him. And look at how God points this thing out. I want you to see this in verse 9. Has slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. I didn't do it. I didn't kill him. I didn't kill him. Did David technically take the sword himself in his own hand and put the sword through Uriah? Yeah, back behind the castle, you know, real quick. Make sure you don't leave anything behind. Get the bleach out, clean up the blood, wash the hands. No DNA testing back then, so you can get away with it if you do it right. Don't know where Uriah went. No, David didn't do it. I'm talking about the realization of his sin. David set it all up. And God said, you killed him with their sword. You know how many Christians I know try to get away with the sin they commit by pretending they didn't do it? Something really hurts the church. How about this? Have you noticed something different about brother so-and-so? I guess now that you mention it. Did you see them? They looked like they were fighting. I wonder if they're having marriage problems. Yeah, I noticed that. Isn't that crazy? It seems like, this, it seems like they've been doing that a lot lately. I'll bet you their marriages. We better pray for them. Not to be crude. 
Maybe they don't have marriage problems. Maybe somebody had gas. Did you see the look on their face? Not to be crude, and then I go ahead and be crude, but see the look on their face? I'm, I'm just trying to be a little more realistic with you. Did you see the look? Hey, you know you can character assassinate somebody without ever doing it? You know how many people I know plant things in other people's heads because they don't like somebody? You know, I think that guy's a pervert. What did you just say? What, what, what are you... What are you <laughs> What are you saying? Because if you're going to make accusations that are life-destroying, you better have some good evidence to make that accusation because if somebody's really creepy, we ain't putting up with that around here. You understand? We don't brush stuff under the carpet. So what are you trying to say? Are you trying to say that you have an agenda against that person, that you don't like that individual, that you got a dirty mind so you think everybody else is a creep? Right. What do you, you understand what I'm talking about? Well, I didn't say that. Well, yes, you did. I've had multiple of these kind of conversations. Like, like the insinuation is made, and so I'm just a little bit of a bull in a china shop sometimes. So I just say, what are you trying to say? I mean, like, what are you saying? Well, I just mean, well I, well, I wasn't saying that. No, 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 what you just said led me to believe that this, that, and the other thing is true. You said that, so why did you say that? Do you have a good, re- do I need to know something? You wouldn't believe how many times it starts to crawl down, like, well, well, no, well, I didn't, well, I didn't mean that. Like, hey, whoa, if it's a problem, let's deal with the problem. I'm not afraid to deal with the problem. This is precious to me. This is important to me. Character assassination. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Have you illustrated the point well enough? Oh, you killed him. Oh, no, I didn't. You're the man. You can't go around just throwing you know, spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks because you don't like somebody. That's what David did. He set the whole thing up and he's guilty, but he's pretending he's not. And now the realization has hit him that he's caught It's over. He's guilty. And God saw every bit of it. Now watch this. We're almost done. Watch this. David's reaction to the judgment. He tells him that the sword's not going to depart from your house. Because you've done this deed in verse 14, you've given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also that's born in thee shall surely die. Nathan departs unto his house. And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David. And it was very sick. David therefore besought God in verse 16 for the child and David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth and the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth but he would not neither did he eat bread. It came to pass on the seventh day that the child died and the servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead for they said behold while the child is yet alive we spake unto him and he would not hearken unto our voice. How will he then vex himself if we tell him the child is dead? When David saw that his servants whispered, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, is the child dead? They said, he's dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he came into his own house and when he required, they set bread before him and he did eat. What a response, a reaction to the judgment of God. Listen, 
He reaped what he sowed. He took somebody's lone sheep. God took his baby. He has a sin that's committed in an immoral way. And we'll see as we go on in the story, the fallout that hurt that whole situation and hurt his family. He has a son who violates a daughter in an immoral way because he had done fourfold. Everywhere along the line, as you follow David's life and he reaps what he sows, he reaps not only what he sows, but he reaps in the same classification that he sowed in. Absalom, his son, dies in a battle like Uriah did. See how it just keeps falling right in line with what he had done. On top of that, there's a death with a fake friendship, Amasa. Joab kills Amasa, pretending to be his friend. David's bringing Uriah in. Hey, get drunk. Hey, eat. Hey, go home to your wife. Yeah, we're good, man. You and me, we're close. All the while, he's acting like, hey, brother, how you doing, man? He's messed with his wife. How evil. How absolutely evil. And he has the same thing happen in his own life. He is on the rooftop when he sees her. And in 2 Samuel 16, his son desecrates his wives on the rooftop in front of all Israel. Now, now here's an important part of this story. God has already told him, because of his response, I've sinned against God. He didn't say I sinned against people. That's kind of a weird one. I'd kind of say you sinned against Uriah. I'd kind of think you sinned against Bathsheba. I kind of think, think you sinned against the people you led. The reality is, they're all sinners too. My sin is against a holy God. It, it, just, it just eradicates all the excuses that you and I make when we do wrong because somebody else has done wrong to us. It pulls all that, all that stuff, all that cloudy, confusing, how does that really work, and that ain't right, and is that fair, and all that. It just pulls all that stuff, just, just strips it all away, and you're standing before a holy God. That's the result. That's the, the root of the whole issue. It's you and God. I sinned against God. And because he had the humility to say, I'm the man, I'm wrong, God's right, the message is right, the Bible's right, I'm a mess. And I deserve to die, according to the Old Testament, for what I've done. And God said, all right, I put away your sin. Now watch. Any of you been forgiven? Yes. Man, what a thing, man. I mean, what an absolute thing to have, it, to have a holy God in heaven forgive me. I'm glad he forgives, boy. But that doesn't change the fallout of what he did. And that's the trying point in your heart and in your relationship between you and God. God's forgiven you. Hallelujah. But I don't want to have to deal with what I did. Do you see the difference? All kinds of guys go into jail and they're, I'm really sorry, I won't do it again. I'm really sorry. What they mean is, I don't want to pay for what I did. Let me out. I learned my lesson. They ain't really sorry. Well, my buddy who's a preacher now, black guy down in Lima, Ohio. He's 50 years old. He spent time in the federal pen. You know what he said when he went before the judge? I'm guilty. 
I deserve it. They gave him the lightest sentence they could possibly give him. You wouldn't think, you would. he said, I deserve it. He got right with God. God forgave him, and he still did five years in federal pen. Well, I thought when God forgave me, it means I don't have to do it. I don't have to pay for it. Mm, he paid for it all the way, start to finish. Now he's pastoring. <laughs> he's preached here more than once. You know what he has? You know why he's my friend? I tell him this to his face. You ain't my friend because you're black. See, I'm not racist. That's insulting to him. You're my friend because of your character. You know what good character says? God's forgiven me. I did it. And now I've got to deal with some of the stuff I've done. I don't get bitter against God because of the mess that's been created by my sin. I'm not mad at God that I've got to pay the price for what I did. That's reality. It's a law. It's a law of sowing and reaping. You know what David said? I'll take the punishment you give me. You know why this situation didn't get worse than it was? Because David reacted to the judgment of God the right way when the judgment came. It's a funny thing over in Proverbs chapter 3. He's going through there and he's talking all about wisdom and long life and God's blessing. And then abruptly... He says, My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And then he goes on about all the blessings and goodness and all the grace of God. Your response to judgment will determine your character. It'll determine where God will take you after you've messed things up. The last point, and I want you to get this point. David not only showed his proof of guilt by his response to the sin of other people, realized his sin and accepted it when he realized it, reacted properly when God sent the judgment of God in his life. But you know what David did? David had a responsibility. And his responsibility was to go on for Jesus Christ. In spite of the mess-ups he made. Do you know you have the same responsibility? I'm not for this. You messed up. You're out of here forever. When somebody doesn't respond right when they're busted, it's because they ain't repentant. So you give them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the Spirit may be saved in the day of Christ Jesus. But when somebody repents, we don't throw them away. you got a responsibility to keep going. It doesn't matter what the brethren are saying about you. You didn't sin against the brethren. You've hurt the brethren. There's fallout for the actions you've taken. You will answer to God for people you hurt when you don't get the thing right. It's not a small thing to hurt other people, but it pales in significance to hurting God. David had a responsibility in verse 24 he comforts his wife Bathsheba and they bear a son and God loves his son he sends by the hand of Nathan the prophet Nathan gives him a name and and God's restored this thing and Joab goes out in verse 26 and fights against Rabbah interestingly enough same person Joab was fighting against when David was on the roof 
David goes out and he takes the royal city and he sends a messenger to David and says, I've fought against him, I've taken him now, you need to get down here because if you don't get down here, then the credit for the battle is going to go to me and it needs to go to you. And David goes down there and, and brings forth the people in verse number 31 and they put him under Saul's and had to get the complete victory. And then David returns at the end of verse number 31, David returns to Jerusalem. David should have been in Rabbah at the beginning. None of this would have happened. So now you messed up. You can't go back in time. I wish I could, don't you? Man, wouldn't it be great to start over again? Wouldn't it be great to be born a brand new baby with 45 years of life information, mistakes and problems all in your head at the beginning and go, give me another shot at this in Jesus' name, man. Whew! Man, that would be so awesome. But it don't work that way. I have to live with my failures. And so do you. But there is a God in heaven who's so powerful. He can not only forgive you, but he can give you another chance to go back there and do it right this time. But you have a responsibility to not quit just because you messed up or just because somebody else messed up. So what? What hurts the church, what hurts you more than messing up is not responding properly when you do. But if you'll respond right, God in heaven will say, oh man, look at that. Man, he's so full. He's pitiful. A word for God is pitiful. You ever look at a baby crying? It's just, I mean, just, I'm talking like when they're like really like heartbroken. And you look and you just have pity on them. Yeah. God has pity on you. He remembers your frame. He knows your dust. He knows you're weak. He knows you're sinful. And he loves you anyways. But you got to respond right when God shows you you're wrong. And if you'll respond the right way to God, God will take care of you. And that's all you can do sometimes when you made a mess of it is throw yourself at the mercy of the court and let God do something you can't do. Stand to our feet this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.